Welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. Maximize your leadership potential and professional advancement and be inspired. We're delighted to be your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development from a women in business perspective. We share our original research, explore industry and workforce trends, and interview female executives, allies, and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things women in business, leadership challenges, talent management, organizational development, change management, and diversity and inclusion. Welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. In this WBIL podcast episode, Dr. Angela Schill and I talk with Charlotte Butler about learning how to be a better leader as a new executive. Carla Butler, welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. It is a pleasure to be with you. Uh, Dr. Angela Schill and I are co-hosting this episode today, and we're just really thrilled to have a chance to talk with Sharla about her journey as a female executive and leadership lessons she's learned along the way and that she would like to share with everyone. Today, we're specifically going to be talking about learning how to be a better leader as a new executive. You know, anyone can be a leader, regardless of title or role. And certainly we advocate for everyone to feel empowered to to lean into their leadership wherever they may be within a, you know, organizational hierarchy or whatever. But when you find yourself promoted into new roles, particularly into new executive roles, it's a different kind of set of challenges uh, that are associated with it. And and frankly, a lot of times there's not a lot of preparation that comes uh, with it before you're just kind of thrown in the deep end. So uh, this will be really what we explore and unpack together today. Um, As we get started, I just wanted to share Charlotte's bio with everybody. Charlotte Butler has enjoyed an impressive 29-year career in the direct selling industry, working with multiple Utah-based companies. She currently oversees cross-functional efforts to commercialize products in all 30-plus markets as the Director of International Commercialization at doTERRA International. She chairs an internal committee to review and approve product requests, and she and her team then work with all departments to plan, prioritize, project manage thousands of product launches each year. She has also taken on an active role in improving existing processes and in implementing new ones. Now, I could go on and on and on, but I'm going to pause there, Sharla. Is there anything else you would like to highlight from your own background before we dive on into the broader conversation? ERG, and I think that's been really important, and I think it wouldn't have been considered had I not been in the position I'm in. So I feel like as a new leader, that's also been something that's fell into my lap, if you will. Um, I have a son, and so it's been really important for me to be able to have that allyship as well um, and improve the the employee programs here at doTERRA. So. Well, I'm interested, Sharla, just off front, what has it been like for you to kind of watch the shift as you've been in the direct selling industry for almost 30 years? What does that <laughs> look like? And maybe talk about some of the significant changes that you've seen as you've been in in that role for so long or in that business? 
the ebb and flow of the marketing. The marketing is so unique in the direct selling industry, right? So it's it's totally it's totally different, but kind of the same. <laughs> I, I I don't know what that makes sense, but the the marketing is very specific to um it, it's really personal um because it's like angela if i come to you you're my friend this is how i market we we target people that want to do that and share products and mm-hmm. and um doTERRA has really changed the way they do that marketing I, it, it's one thing that i have noticed with them they allow customers to place orders so you don't really have to be a distributor or they call them wellness advocates here and do the business if you don't want to. Um, it's really why they've been able to keep their customer base as strong as they have been mm-hmm. and consistent. So that's one thing I've noticed is that they look, there's companies now looking at different ways of doing their compensation plans and the marketing. And I think a lot of people are more willing to purchase doTERRA products and be a customer because they aren't being pressured to have their own business and do all the things that are required in the multi-level marketing or direct selling industry. So that's one thing I've noticed that's been a big thing because the company I worked for before did not do that. And I think they missed the boat a little bit. So now that you've kind of slid into the role, just transitioning into being a new executive, what are some of the challenges that you faced as you've Uh, walked into that path? Yeah, The, the biggest one for me is, I'm like an achiever, like achiever, people pleaser, get things done kind of person, right? And I've gone to my VP and I said, I don't know how to make this transition. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? And she gave me the best advice. And she said, you are the person now that is developing these people into the person, the department that you need them to be. You're no longer the one doing all the tasks to make sure everything gets done. You're developing their careers. You're helping them grow. And that's who, that's who you have to become now. And it felt like, you know, a ton of bricks on my shoulders. <laughs> it feels like a lot of responsibility. Um, it's not just give me a task and let me do something. Um, and so that achiever in me is now like, I have to learn everything I need to learn to be able to like help these people and teach them and become a leader that inspires others to want to be better in their career, I guess. So that's been the biggest, that's been the biggest challenge for me and the biggest leap because I didn't know what to do. So, (laughs) yeah. I'm wondering just with that transition, because I'm really pleased that that was the advice that you received. And and that's kind of the, the framing that, you, you know, you took on as you moved into this role. That's certainly not how everyone approaches it. No, no. <laughs> um, and, you know, so you, you find a lot of leaders and I, and right now I'm, I'm going to use the term leader in, in a variety of ways. Right now I'm talking about like hierarchical leader, like you're in a, in a particular role position uh, within the organization. A lot of people who are in those types of leadership roles um, don't take that kind of a philosophy at all. They don't have that kind of philosophy at all or, or, or try to lift and build the people around them. That's not their focus. And in fact, a lot of times there's this narcissism and there's this, um, just this ego that drives a lot of leaders, not universally, of course, but, uh, you know, it's easy. It's pretty easy to start to get kind of a big head and think, Hey, I'm pretty special. Look at me. I just got promoted and, and, 
I figured it all out. So now everyone should try to do it just like me. And instead of trying to meet people where they're at and trying to lift people and, and empower them to maximize their potential, you end up, you know, even with good intentions, you know, if that's your framing and that's how you're approaching people that I'm the one you should be following and, and uh, do what I do. It's, it's just not going to resonate with people. You're not going to get the same kind of buy-in. You're not going to build the same types of relationships. It's simply just not going to have the same kind of effect. And yet, you know, it's been my experience that that's more often than not what we see from a lot of higher level leaders. Um, so maybe, it, I don't know, if you can just talk a little bit more to, to maybe it's the culture there um, at your company. Uh, that's yeah. part of what's going on here. Maybe it just happens to be, you know, who you reached out to. Um, but how, how did you embrace that kind of a philosophy from the beginning? Because I think that's really important. I, I would love for everyone who finds themselves in roles of responsibility over other people to take on that kind of a mindset. Yeah, um, it started out with, so I got put in the position, I was under a different VP and they made the decision to move me to a, uh, to a different, completely different department. And so I you know, I, I had no context to what I was doing. So I just went to them and then you, you actually approached us at the same time. And I took an, emo an emotional intelligence class mm -hmm. that really helped. But uh, I mean, that started the journey of learning and doTERRA is really good about um, training all of their employees. They have Arbinger Institute here where they talk about, they make, you know, they want you to read anatomy of peace and the other book that's with them. I'm trying to remember the name of it right now, but it's escaping me. Um, and then also they have crucial conversations and they have certificate, you know, certificate of completion glasses for all of those things. And they really focus on, we have to work as a team. We have to have a good culture. They have um, an employee handbook that they just came out with. that talks about being curious and um, empowering others and f focusing on leaders and being customer obsessed and, you know, the mission of the company. And so all of the employees should be able to name all of those things to you at that point, because we should be having those conversations daily with all the employees about those um, values that the company has. And they're very big on, um, we want to empower people from within the company. We want to promote people within the company. So they ask us always to, when hiring, to consider those that already work here that want to be promoted. Um, that can fit into your team that have those skills or want to learn the skills. So we often do that. Um, and then okay, can I just comment yeah. on that for a minute? So yeah. I'm an HR professor. So with my HR hat on for a moment, okay. as you're saying <laughs> that I'm thinking not only from a leadership standpoint, does that make a lot of sense philosophically empower people, meet people where they're at, et cetera, from an HR standpoint and like a practical like business case perspective, in the current labor market, the, the mm -hmm. current dynamic that we have with labor shortages and skills gaps, we need organizations to have much more flexible career pathways than what we traditionally saw in previous generations. And so the fact that doTERRA is leaning into that and saying, hey, we're going to encourage you to look at existing people. They may not have any experience doing the exact thing that you want them to do. The default is, right, usually you say, I want three to five years experience in a college degree in this specific thing. It's getting harder and harder to find people who fit those kind of requirements. 
And it's, it's unnecessarily restrictive because most of the time you don't need that. Actually, what you really need is people who just are willing to learn. They're willing to grow in the position and, you know, with some baseline skills and competencies. Right. So, yeah. you know, this is something I I'm preaching all the time when I go out to organizations, like don't you're shooting yourself in the foot. If you're artificially limiting your potential, you know, applicant pool, because you have like all this, this laundry list of all these requirements that you say people need to have in order to even apply. And a lot of times you have great people in your organization who want opportunities to grow. And when they don't have it, they just leave. So they'll stick around your company for a couple of years. And they're like, oh, there's no, no chance for me here. I'm not going to be able to move up to the next level. And so they go somewhere else. So you're losing people instead of like utilizing them in a way that's going to be helpful. It's better for them. It's better for the business, right? Yeah, totally. I totally agree. And, and honestly, my whole team, I, I have a team of 18 people right now and all but five or six of them have come from the call center and they're fabulous employees and they they know what they're doing. They know the company. They know the products. And it makes a big difference when you have that knowledge. And a lot of them speak other languages as well, which is super important for, you know, proofing a label in Korean or <laughs> or Hebrew or, <laughs> you and know. I can just say from experience, I back in the day, this is another lifetime ago, but back in the day, I worked at three different call centers uh, at various stages, you know, of, uh, when I was an undergrad. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell you, I did not have, there, there was no perception that there was any opportunity for call center people to move up in any yeah. way. <laughs> we were completely disposable people, you know, and they, yeah. they treated us that way. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure we try not to do that here. We, we they <laughs> have great. a really good, <laughs> they recognize, like yeah, they recognize that they have a good employee base here. And honestly, there's so many employees that speak so many languages that that work because we, they need them in the call centers to take calls mm -hmm. from, and they, they have the skill sets. And so they encourage us to do that. So I, I am thankful that they allow that because it's, yeah. it's, it's a great opportunity. I mean, I worked in the call center from the very beginning and then moved up from there. Um, I had the same roots, so I, I know where they're coming from. So I want to be able to support that as well. Yeah. And very cool. In that vein, Charlotte, I'm just curious how, as you've stepped into your role, how have you built relationships where you can, you're building trust within that team that you're working in and kind of, do you have any strategies that have worked for you and helped you to do that? Yeah. And I actually learned it in the executive leadership course I took at UVU. So I'll be, give that a plug. Um, it was amazing. I, I was hired to do processes because that's my passion. I, I really love coming in and seeing gaps and being able to say, like, this is what I think we should do. And so I, when I did this leadership course, I was midstream of having to revamp the department and who was doing what and where and how we were doing things. And honestly, with, with project management and how many th departments we have to work with, you know, we were having to change processes with lots of departments. And so learning how to present change management to the team was kind of life-changing. Like I'm sitting in this class one day and, and Donna and Kelly are walking us through, this is how you should tell your team. And this is how you should talk them through change. And my mind was just like, wow, I can't believe I didn't know this. And it was simple. It was simple what they were telling me, but it just hadn't dawned on me as a new leader. And so um, 
it was just explain to them and walk them through and why the company needs this, why our department needs it, what it means to us. It was amazing, really. And within two days, I wrote a PowerPoint and presented it to the team. And it was what they've been asking for all along, which was, can we just be included? Can you tell us what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, we make a lot of changes. It's so hard for us. And I am, I'm always great with change. It's like what I love and they hate it. Everyone hates change. <laughs> I think I'm an anomaly when I say that I like changes. I just feel like I'm learning and growing when I'm changing. And, and I often tell them that all the time you know, if you're not learning, you're not growing. And and that includes change. And, and so I think they're adopting things a little bit more. The team seems to be more resilient when it comes to those things, because they have seen the changes that we have made, how they've improved their workloads. Um, we've been able to like, um, consider um, when someone leaves, we say, okay, do we really need to replace this person? Or with the changes we've made, can we, you know, absorb what they were doing and better improve processes and things like Mm -hmm. that. So those are the kinds of things that um, I hope that they, I've been told that they're excited about and that they acknowledge are good things. So it it sounds like that, that culture of inclusion is right there in the beginning as you're walking through the changes with them at the forefront, understanding and being a part of the change instead of just being handed a list of directives with no input or understanding. Yeah, which I had done. I I won't say that I hadn't made the mistake. You know, I had done that before where I just walked in and said, okay, everybody, this is a great idea because it's my idea and I just want you to do it. And, you know, I had, I'm thankful that I have employees that are comfortable enough coming and talking to me because one of the girls came and said, I, why did you make this decision without talking to anyone? Like, you don't have to do this job and we have to do it. And it really impacts us. And you just think that it's easy and it's not. And I was like, wow, I'm sorry I didn't think this way, you know. And so that's where the emotional intelligence have to come in. You have to have some tough skin, right, when they come and tell you, like, I don't like this or I don't feel comfortable with this. And then you just have to be able to have those conversations. And I've stopped um, not being honest with people. And I, I try to just be really forthright with them and have very candid conversations um, because I will never ask them to do something that I won't do myself or don't know how to do. So I try to make it an effort to learn everything that they know. Um, And if that means sitting down at their desk and routing a label for them one time, like I've done that. So I I just don't want them to ever think that um, a leader comes in and doesn't know how to do anything and then tells you what to do. Um, so that's always been my philosophy is that I wouldn't ask them to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. Yeah, I love that philosophy. I appreciate it. I I appreciate when I'm working with people who I know are willing to roll up their sleeves and work alongside me, especially when they're asking me to do something uncomfortable or new or hard. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate the self-realization, you know, that you, you went through as you were learning, um, you know, how, how to go about fostering trust and and buy-in to the changes that you're trying to drive within your team. Um, It's like you said, most of what we talk about, like Angela and I and Kelly and others, you know, when we're talking about leadership, we're talking about change management or some of these topics, most of it's not rocket science. Most of it's fairly straightforward. Most of the time, if you're listening to it, you're like, oh yeah, that makes complete sense. Mm 
it's not rocket science, but it's really hard. And it's really hard because we get so caught up in our day to day and just the grind and just churning out work, right. And all the things we have to do every day that we forget to do just the basic, simple little things consistently over time. If we just do those basic little things, it usually takes care of like 80, 90% of it. Right. Yeah. And then there are the, the other things that happen that you have to deal with. But, but, you know, I think so often leaders forget that or, or they don't understand it in the first place. And so I appreciate you explaining, you know, how you came to that realization and how you've made changes to how you implement change within your team. Um, it, it's just really, that's a really important lesson, I think, for everyone to to recognize and to apply into their own style. Yeah. And also, you know, I, I've had, I've had really bad bosses throughout my life and I, <laughs> they're very vivid to me. And I look back and think, I don't want to be that way. I, I don't want to be that the person that is remembered by someone as being the who's horrible and uncompassionate. I, I had one woman tell me one time that I was going in labor on purpose to not have to come to work. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so I was like, this is a lesson for me in my life that if I ever become a leader like this, I will never be, you know, someone who's not compassionate and, and, um, you, you know, cares about people like they're people. It's just a job. And I tell people all the time, you shouldn't be crying at work. There's not, there's nothing at work that's ever worth crying about. We just need to figure out and make things better. And so <clears throat> there's been a lot of times, um, and, you know, I, on the other hand, I've had other bosses where I want to be, I will do anything for them because I know they have my back um, and I don't want to make them look bad. And that's my goal with my team. Um I want to be, I want to be the leader that they know I have their back and I have their best interest and I want them to do their best to make our department look good and make it so that I look good. And so does the boss above me so that we are respected in the company for what we do. So. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like the best surefire way for you to look amazing as a leader is to treat your people well, to empower them, and, you know, to help them to be successful. Uh, and it that will inevitably make you look better, you're gonna have better outcomes. And so, you know, I, sometimes when we talk about servant leadership, which is largely the philosophy we've been discussing, um, you know, people feel like, oh, that's touchy feely, or, oh, you know, but you're really, you're going to sacrifice productivity, or you're going to sacrifice the outcomes, um, or you're going to look weak as a leader or whatever. I'm like, no, usually you look powerful, strong as an influencer. You're someone who actually can get stuff done because you can yeah. never get it all done yourself. You have to get stuff done with people around right. you. Well, one thing I learned, I it was odd that I listened to this, another podcast about leaders just the other day. And they were saying, you can't make your employees happy. Like that's a decision your employees have to make on their own. You have to be there to support them and help them in their career. And I was like, this makes a lot of sense. It can't be about making your employees happy. That's a decision they make every day with yeah. how they're going to be. And whatever you do is never going to make them happy. They have to make that decision. And I was like, okay, I need to, I need to rethink how I am interacting with the employees day, day to day. Um, am I worried about their happiness or am I worried about 
you know, their, their workloads. And I need to, it just helped me to like rethink what, how I handle things on the day to day and help them because it really is, it's true. I didn't even think about it that way, but it really is true. Like I can't, I can't make them happy. I, I don't, I can't be the one to like be responsible for their happiness. <laughs> I'm here to help them um, with their job and get their job done and support them and what they need for their job. So anyway, it's, it was a good, it was a really good podcast to listen to. So um, it was good for this conversation. Cause I was like, yeah, this is exactly what I need to be doing. So. Well, it sounds like you've done so much work on your own personal growth as a leader and stepping into this role from, you've mentioned taking the leadership course at UVU, you've mentioned um, podcasts and all of the resources that doTERRA offers as well with uh, crucial conversations and, and things like that. And I'm wondering, as you've kind of gone on your own, it's like you, you talked about in the beginning, there was this people-pleasing piece of you and how you went forward doing things. And now you're shifting and talking about how you're focusing on supporting your employees in a specific way. And I'm wondering what that dis- that road of discovery has been like for you as you've kind of grown into your your own self-acceptance and embarking on um, your career and what that looks like, um, finding out who you are and what your purpose is. Well, thank you for asking because it's been a long road. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day when I gave you the topics to talk about today. And I um, I was thinking back when I was 17, my, I worked at a fast food place like everyone else does when they're a teenager, right? And, and it was a local hamburger joint. And when I was 17, the owners of that place were relying on me to do all the scheduling and all the purchasing. And I, at 17, did not realize they were relying on me to be a leader. And it's taken me a long time to step into that. Um, because I don't think I ever felt like I was good enough to be a leader. Like I'm great. I'm a great employee and I get stuff done and everyone would tell me you get stuff done. But there were times I take the reins on a lot of things and make things happen, but it was never, you're a leader and you should do this. And until the boss that I had that, I mean, he's a friend and I've known him for 20 plus years. And he was the one that said, you're already doing the job. You just need to be paid to do it now. Mm. And it just, dawned on me okay but the imposter syndrome right everybody has it and um and it's hard and you think okay I can't do this like it's too much there's too many people relying on me to do that then you have someone like my VP now who is a woman and she's awesome and says no you can do this you're you're great like and so I I've stepped into that and I'm and I'm now you know I've utilized all the tools that I have, the classes that we've talked about. Um, and I do, I listen, I have an hour commute every day um, back and forth from work. And so I'm, I try to listen to books. I've learned, I heard someone say one time that effective CEOs or successful CEOs are reading books all the time. And so I thought, okay, I need to be more engaged. I need to be more engaged in learning to be better and learning that I'm good enough and I can do this. And so that's really what the focus has been. And a lot of that comes with um, navigating as a woman in leadership. Uh, a lot of people don't want to, they, you know, they don't see you as that. They still question um, to this day, 
the decisions you make and it's, it can be very frustrating, but I found that, um, uh, I, you know, you stand your ground and you prove that you know what you're doing. And that has always served me. I've always been, I can be the one that can sit at a table and I can have an opinion and it's okay to have an opinion. You might not like it, but it can be done in a respectful way. Um, and it can still be a conversation. I deserve to be sitting at the table having a conversation with you just as much as anyone else. Even when I wasn't a leader, I felt that way because I had something to give because people were asking me to do things. And if that was the case, then I needed to be part of that conversation. And so I feel like um, that has been the hardest part for me when when it just plopped in my lap and happened so quickly. Um, a lot of it was the imposter syndrome and, and, you know, working on myself so that I could get to a point where I can support these employees and help understand the importance of their job and, um, and serving all the countries that we serve and, um, and also the philanthropic stuff that doTERRA does here is so important and it's a lot in due to getting the products in the market and getting the, you know, supporting the farmers that we do. And so it's, it's been a, it's literally been what, gosh, I think it's been two years, which blows my mind. I can't believe it's been that long. It still feels like I'm only been a director for like two months, but, <laughs> but um, I've enjoyed it. And I look forward to what is coming with doTERRA and the things that they're doing. And, um, and I want to be there for it. Well, Sharla, thank you so much. This has been a fun conversation. Uh, it's really been fun to get to know you and to learn a little bit more about your background and your your journey and your experience. Uh, I know at the time we're going to let you go here in just a minute, but before we wrap things up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you and find out more about your work, your team there at doTERRA, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Um, the the best place to go to see doTERRA is at doTERRA.com. You can see all of the um, philanthropic things happening there. Um, my personal email here is sbutler at doTERRA.com. I'm happy to answer any questions about the company or the products or anything else. Um, and um, the last word of the day, is that what you said? Um, just to be kind and be better. <laughs> we can always do better. That's wonderful. Be kind and just do a little bit better every day. That's right. Thank you, Charlotte. It's been a pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Charlotte can do for you. Check out doTERRA. And as always, we hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And we hope you all have a great week. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.